Welcome to Anecdotally Speaking, a podcast to help you build your business story repertoire. <laughs> there you uh, go, Mark. do that once more. <laughs> Someone who is quite a, um, I guess, hidden figure in the, uh, in the field of uh, French Impressionism. There you go. We're going to go all the way to French Impressionism. So um, Gustave Caillebotte uh, was a French painter in the 1800s. It got rejected outright by the academy. They this idea of you know shirtless men doing this mundane task uh, just seemed to be totally um, you know you know they reviled in the in the idea. But there was a few blokes that really loved it, and they were some of the other artists, and they included um, unknown artists of Auguste Renoir, Claude Monet, you know Degas. You know, just buy the, the crappy ones. So anyway, built up this collection of crappy Renoirs and crappy uh, Monets. In, in some ways, not a refined uh, piece of art in their eyes. But for the uh, sort of nouveau riche, oh, they just loved it. They're buying up these paintings like crazy. We get to love and be very comfortable with the things that we're exposed to over and over again. Second, third, fourth. It listening. grows on you. It grows on you, right? This is the mere exposure effect. Um, yeah. Just because somebody can't see the value of your idea doesn't mean it doesn't have value. Yeah, yeah. And I feel like building on that, I'd say, you know, if you want people to notice your work, you have to be visible, you know. Welcome to Anecdotally Speaking, a podcast to help you build your business story repertoire. Hi, everyone. I'm Sean Callahan. And hey, everybody, I'm Mark Shank, and it's your turn in the chair this week, Sean. And Fabulous. and uh, I want you to get a bit creative with this one. I want you to get a little artistic. Artistic, okay, I love it. Um, this this story is is about someone who is quite a, um, I guess, hidden figure in the. Uh, in the field of uh, French Impressionism. There you go. We're going to go all the way to French Impressionism. So um, Gustave Caillebotte uh, was a French painter in the 1800s. He, um, you know, he started off you know, trying to be a lawyer and an engineer. He had a very wealthy family, he didn't have to work. So when he decided that that wasn't for him, he realised he was a very good painter. And he submitted uh, his first painting to, um, you know, the Academy of Fine Arts when he was about 27. Uh, it was of, uh, it was called the Floor Scrapers, and it was these four guys on the floor, parquetry floors, you know, sort of trying to get the varnish off. Turns out to be a very famous painting now. But at the time he submitted it, uh, it got rejected outright by the Academy. They This idea of, you know, Shirtless men doing this mundane task uh, just seemed to be totally, um, you know, you know, they reviled in the in the idea. So it was it was a, a long way from the the very fine art. That well, that's right, like, exactly. You know, it was a bit blurry. It was a bit, uh, you know, it, it was, was, was impressionism. It was it was very much an impressionist uh, sort of view of it, right? Anyway. He was, uh, a lot of people hated it, but there was a few blokes that really loved it. And they were some of the other artists. And they included um, unknown artists of Auguste Renoir, Claude Monet, you know, Degas. Uh, 
they all, all loved his painting and they became fast friends. Anyway, because Cabot had a heap of dough, he would buy his poor friend's paintings as a way to help them, you know, sort of make some money. And he had a rule, and his rule was he would only buy their worst paintings, right, because he figured their best paintings would be bought by someone eventually. But, you know, just buy the the crappy ones. So anyway, he built up this collection of crappy Renoirs and crappy uh, Monets, and... um, and about in his in his late 20s, he had this premonition that he was going to die early. So he actually wrote his will and he bequeathed his collection to the Fine Arts Academy. The people uh, that had told him. The one who rejected him. Yeah, yeah. Thanks very he, much, but no thanks. That's right. And so he died early. He was like 45, I think, when he had a stroke. Um, died. Uh, Renoir was the executor of his estate and uh, sort of fought the academy to get the paintings collected or accepted. And in the end, they they accepted half. And it was only seven painters who were represented in that collection that got accepted. And and those painters uh, ended up being called the um, the Cabot Seven, right? And they were um, Monet, uh, Degas, Pissarro, uh, Renoir, Sicily, Manette, and Cezanne, right? They're not slouches in the worlds that we know today of uh, Impressionist painters, but they're pretty well unknown still at that time. They had, because there was a a real fight over getting these paintings accepted, it drew lots of attention to it. It was actually called, you know, back in the 1800s, the Cabot Affair. You know, it was like in the newspapers is this big blow-up that was... Oh, happening. it's like the equivalent of Watergate in the 1870s. Yeah, oh, yeah, it was, it was a big thing. And as a result, it was a PR boon for uh, the Fine Art Academy because they ended up doing an exhibition and people flocked to it. You know, they absolutely loved it. Now, the old guard didn't want to have anything to do with this. These new painters that sort of really focused on light and it was all a bit blurry and um, in, in some ways not a refined uh, piece of art in their eyes. But for the uh, sort of nouveau riche, oh, they just loved it. They're buying up these paintings like crazy. The Americans were, you know, buying these paintings. Um, and people wanted more of it. And these artists, of course, were really starting to churn out uh, paintings. Anyway, fast forward to, uh, you know, 2016, I think it was, uh, a researcher, um, uh, James Cutter at Cornell University, uh, did this extensive literature review and counted all the instances he could find of of impressionist paintings being shown in various books and catalogues and things like that, and he discovered more than fifteen thousand instances uh, in all those books and catalogues that had the Cabot Seven as the main painters, right? And he he more or less said they would definitely became the canon of French or Impressionist painters around the world. Um, And it kind of showed that these guys, there's a psychological effect called the mere exposure effect, that we we get to love and be very comfortable with the things that we're exposed to over and over again. It's like when you listen to a, a, a music album for the first time and you hear some of the songs and you go, eh, I really love it. Second, third, fourth. It listening. grows on you. 
it grows on you, right? This is the mere exposure effect actually happening in short term. And that's what happened with the KBOT 7. Um, and remember, KBOT was, was buying their worst paintings, not their best paintings, their worst paintings. Anyway, Hutto, the researcher, uh, really did show it. And he did some tests with his students as well. He, he showed in the first instance them a whole bunch of paintings um, you know, from the canon and others and then just ask them which ones they um, preferred. And to a T, they all chose the, you know, the KBOT 7 painters. Uh, then he did another test where he showed them lots and lots of unknown Impressionist painters uh, over half a day and then asked them to say which paintings they preferred. And they picked unknown Impressionist painters. They had grew on them, just like that album. It grew on them. It just shows you how strong this effect is. Um, so if you want to get an idea across, if you want to get people comfortable with something, you've got to help them hear it and see it over and over again, and eventually it'll become nothing to them. It'll become something they're comfortable with. Yeah, well, obviously a lot of marketers have found out about the exposure effect. Exactly. Advertising. Well, how many? I'm, I've, there's one show on TV. It's just finished, thankfully, that... Uh, I've been watching Survivor on free to air. And not only do they show an ad between, you know, the parts of the show, they show the same ad, you know, like three times. It's the mere, they're really relying on the mere exposure effect, right? Yep. That just through seeing it, I'll just get comfortable with that product. Um, and I'm sure it works. They wouldn't put all that money in it if it hadn't. Anyway, that's Kbot. And, oh, by the way, he's now being recognised, his paintings. Finally, um, there's a beautiful museum in, in, in Paris, the D'Orsay, which is kind of renowned for its uh, Impressionist paintings. And he sits, there's Kbot, sits, his paintings sit next to the Monets and the Renoirs and um, all the other greats of the Kbot 7. Cool, cool. So now, of course, art is something that you're, you know, like you're very steeped in and you've got a, a very strong family connection to art. But yeah. what are the things that you liked about telling that? I don't know. I do like a history story, right? So anything. And I also like the fact that I'd never heard of that. I've never heard of this. I'd never heard of Kbot. I'd never heard of Kbot, right? So I thought that was interesting. I discovered him while I was in in Paris, and you know, there was his painting. They had a little story next to it, and and then I found uh, a great telling of it from a business perspective, and that was in uh, there was a guy called uh, Derek Thompson wrote a book called The Hitmakers, and in The Hitmakers, he talks about that. It's just one of the ways in which big hits were uh, came about. I was in, by the way, I was interested in the hitmakers. Remember when I did that project for the Silicon Valley Gaming Company and they mm, brought hands yes. from Los Angeles to, um, yep. you know, essentially had the battle of the bands. That was probably one of my most enjoyable engagements, uh, playing around with that. Um, what do you like about the story? Well, I, I really I really like that, um, that K-Bot bought their worst paintings. Yeah. And I, I, I get that, right? It, because that's that's a very plausible thing, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah right. You know, I'm going to buy their worst paintings so that they've got money that they can continue to live and paint and yep. drink coffee and carouse. Sure there was, 
yeah, carouse. <laughs> yeah. um, uh, and so he's built up this this collection of their worst paintings. Now I'm I'm assuming that was from the artist's perspective. Yeah. Oh, I don't think but this one's very really good. But it shows you, doesn't it? It's hard to predict what is going to be regarded as great. Like yeah. one of those worst paintings in inverted commas was Renoir's The Boating Party, right? Which is oh, really? one of the most renowned impressionists. What, that, what was its most recent sale price? Like, it'd be millions like, and millions of dollars. Yeah, right? Many millions. So, so, you know, this concept of what is good and, and, and what is not good is a, such a subjective thing. And we were talking before about this idea of, I don't know, oh, well, well Kagebot was a nobody. In, in in a sense that he wasn't discovered for a long long time, and but and nobody doesn't mean you're not not um, got skill and capable. Well, that's right. It, you you know, just haven't been discovered. You yet. haven't been discovered right? yet. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and the Manets and Renoirs and uh, Degas, yeah. they were they were nobody. Exactly. They were no nobody when uh, when it started. When the the, the you know Kbot started uh, when he when he met them. Well, that's right. In it's fact, only the whole thing he... about impressionism was <laughs> was it was a yeah, totally new that thing. Was exactly, yeah. and it's a bit going back to the Anita Roddick episode, right? And and the sort of the PR, uh, you know, sort of awareness she created by you know sort of going to the papers and getting that story about her being in between two um, funeral homes that were giving her a hard time. I mean, so, so, sometimes you do have to do something remarkable and. You know, to even stand out, you know, obviously. Yeah. And right. just because other people can't see it no. doesn't mean that it's not of value, you know, and not doesn't mean that it's not going to be a huge success. It just means that that person can't see it. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, so anyway, that, that's what I like about it. So I like that sort of history story. I, I read a um, an article uh, recently on what makes things interesting, right? It was written in the 1960s, and um, the main idea behind the article was if you uh, were able to uh, turn the, the cards or, you know, sort of see a twist in what's happened, like what used to be famous is no longer famous, or what used to be predictable is now unpredictable, what used to be straight is now bent. You know, anything at that structure. Orange is the new black. Orange is the new black, right? Anything that has that sort of structure is interesting to humans. Oh, you've got okay, to send that. You've got to share that article. I totally yeah, I'll, read yeah, that I'll, article. I'll, I'll, in Stick fact, it I'll, in the. We'll put it in the show notes. I'll, we'll put it in the show notes. Yeah, no, people yeah. like that. Yeah, very valuable. So All business right. points. So on this business one, points. Oh man, I think there's a lot in there. I mean, it's a, it, was, it was a substantial story, and there's a, a whole bunch of twists and turns, and we've covered some of them. Um, yeah. Just because somebody can't see the value of your idea doesn't mean it doesn't have value. Yeah, yeah. And I feel like building on that, I'd say, you know, if you want people to notice your work, you have to be visible. You know, you got to get it out there, show it as much as possible. You know, no, you can't just expect you to be discovered as the brooding genius. Uh, you know, working. <laughs> Working alone in your, uh, you know, sort of in your study or something like that. Um, yeah, I think there's something related here to hybrid working, right? Ooh. Because if you're not showing your face in that workplace, you're going to be overlooked. You no longer have the mere exposure effect working for you. 
Oh, there are. There, and there has been research on that. Have there, right. Yeah, I I read some research last year about the the uh, you know out of sight, out of mind. Yeah, well, that's that's what it is, isn't it? Yeah. So I think there's that element of it. Uh, what else can we do as a business point? Um, well, I mean, persistence. Yeah, right. Yeah, like, exactly. Uh, you know, and you know, particularly Renoir's persistence in getting. Yeah, he was a believer, wasn't he? You know. Yeah, like, yeah. He's, he was he's in kind there. Of, He's doing the right thing and, you know, trying to uh, honour uh, his friend's will. Mm. Yep. Yeah, I think there's, you know, I was um, just thinking about, I actually uh, posted something on LinkedIn yesterday about business points. And and I, I was reflecting on all the conversations we've had in uh, anecdotally speaking. And it occurred to me that there's sort of like a, we, we seem to be able to find somewhere between, you know, one and four business points. You know, there seems to be about... For every story. Um, it's not like you can just come up with 10 often. You know, it seems to be this small card rate. So, and I just called the um, the article Central Truth. You know, what's the central truth, you know, in a story? Um, I mean, I think... You know, I, you know, and I think that's just what the business points become. You know, there's the, the variety of central truths that uh, actually are, can be derived from the story. Anyway, it's just some, just something I noticed. Um, and of course, something that we've said many times is that um, pick one of the business points that we've covered, and then tell the story focused entirely on making the business point. And you find out there's a whole bunch of stuff you can leave out. Yep, and you'll tell different versions of the story. Yep. Yeah, absolutely, and and of course, uh, a mistake that I've seen a few times is where you try and make too many points at the same time with the yeah. with the one story. So you just that just dilutes things, and uh, you kind of lose your point in the in the in the morass of words that come yeah. out. Yeah. Well, okay, you, you told the story. Uh, yeah, I'm. I'm, I'm I'm tossing up this one. I, I don't want to do it, but I'm going to give it a seven. You're in a seven? Okay. Yeah. I'm going to give this a nine out of ten. I think this is a cracker of a story. I've told this multiple times. Um, however, I have to say, it only works for certain groups of people. <laughs> you have to have some interest in this sort of field before this has a impact. And I think this is going to be this. That's the point in any storytelling, right? So, in what circumstances have you have you have you been telling it? You know, in well, you know, I was in a business meeting just recently. It was a group of uh, software developers, but they were from Europe, and I told the story there because there was some point about mere exposure I was trying to make, and uh, they they really. Um, they appreciated it because it was something they hadn't heard about, you know, something in their geography, right? Um, whereas I, I've, I've told it in in other places where you can see, you know, it, it, you people are looking at me like, well, what in the hell are you talking about? And, and it's hard for people to hear Kayubot because it's a it's a sound that you don't hear in English that often. Um, and so, again, that 
just adds another level of difficulty uh, yeah. to the story, right? Cool. All right. Well, I, I sense that we could continue having this conversation. And uh, right. So Seven out of ten. Have, and okay. did you get a nine or a nine and a half? What did you no, no, no. I'm not, I'm not going crazy. I mean, oh, right. Oh, it's just okay. a nine. Nine. Nine, <laughs> just nine, a nine. Right. Okay. Well, I hope you get to chat. Chat all our listeners out there. I hope you get a chance to tell tell the Kbot story, and uh, I'd love to hear anything you learn from uh, sharing it. Uh, please, please let us know. So, anyway, we should wrap up. Yes, I'm getting the nod. Thanks for listening in to Anecdotally Speaking, and of course, tune in next week for another episode. How to put your stories to work. Bye for now. Anecdotally speaking, was engineered by Dave Stokes from author to audio.